You're listening to War Dogs Podcast. During the Vietnam War, through the hours of darkness, over 500 sentry dogs and their handlers patrolled along the perimeters of U.S. Air Force bases. These are their stories. Here's your host, Tom Shambo. Hello, I'm Tom Shambo, and this is the War Dogs Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Craig Lord. He served uh, from April 20th, 1968 to April 20th, 1969, in the 35th Security Police Squadron, K-9 Division. Tell me, you know, how you got started in the K-9 and, and then uh, uh, how you ended up in Fan Rang. Well, actually, uh, it started, quite honestly, back at Bunker Hill, Indiana, in the 305th Bomb Wing in SAC. Uh, I was working security then, and I ran into a fellow by the name of Bob Dragich, which I think you may know. Yep. And uh, he was canine handler there. This was 1967, and I was working one of those uh, entry posts that was remote. And he came walking up to the gate there, and we started chatting. And I learned right then and there that that's what I wanted to do, except I wasn't a canine handler. Now, uh, um, it was ice cold that night. So he let me handle his dog for a couple minutes, you know, a few minutes and everything. I fell in love with it. So I was, uh, well, I was at Bunker Hill for 10 months and long came February of 68. And, and Bob had just left to go to Fan Rang. And I got up one morning or just getting ready to go to bed one morning after work and somebody came in and says hey there's an opening for fan rang anybody want it i went right into the first shirt and i said i'll take it and one reason i took it is because i didn't want to stay in the winter anymore cold weather <laughs> so i was done with indiana <laughs> you know so so uh anyway i went down to azr you know the combat preparedness course and all that stuff and then uh, April was my my uh, date to go, April 20th, date to go to uh, Vietnam out of McCord Air Force Base. And uh, so off we go, April 20th. And we went to Yakota and got off the airplane there for, they had a crew change, got off the airplane and, and there we are in our 1505s. And you'd have to explain to people what those are, nice tan uniforms summer uniform literally and freezing our tushes off there you know and i thought oh goodness i this this cold weather is following me you know and so anyway i ran into a guy named jesus para and he went over on the same airplane as i did and i asked him where where are you going he says fan rang i says me too you know so i met him at yakota air force or yakota air base yeah, and so we went into the, the uh, cafeteria there and got a coffee, you know, and we were chatting and everything. I said, well, what do you do? And he says, well, I'm security. Oh, I am too. What do you do in security? He says, I'm canine. Oh, great. <laughs> you're going to run into a guy named Dragic. I says, tell you what, when I get over there, you guys are going to have to help me get into canine. And they did. <laughs> So we got to got to uh, Fan Rang on uh, I guess probably April twenty first really I guess because of the date change. And I'll never forget that first night. We were in the transit barracks, waiting to get assigned to whatever we were going to do. And 
he was going to canine, of course, and I was going somewhere. I, I wasn't sure what in as far as security went, but uh, you know, about one o'clock in the morning or something, we heard a telltale thump, 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 thump. And this is our first night in the country. And uh, uh, so off we went. We followed everybody out of the barracks and into a bunker, which was right next to the barracks. And uh, uh, I asked him if he volunteered to go over there. He said, yeah. And he said, did you? I said, yeah. I said, fine mess. You got us into, Holly. You know, <laughs> we've been friends ever since. So anyway, the Dragic came to me, uh, I don't know, maybe three, four weeks into the me being over there. And he says, Hey, we're going to have an opening in canine. One of our guys went up to, uh, uh, Tachikawa to get another dog because we were short dogs and he's going to keep that one. We're going to have a dog named Winston open for you, you know, and, and you still interested. And he says, yeah. And he said, well, the guys all said they're willing. And I've talked to the NCOIC, Glenn Redmond and, and, uh, we'll work it out with security. Cause I was in security at the time. And uh, uh, we'll get you into canine, and you'll you'll we've already talked it over. You'll get two weeks of OJT training at the kennel, and uh, uh, you'll do some book work because they had the they had the manual there. You had you know manual was good. It told you all about dogs and what to do and quartering your post and doing all that stuff, you know. And uh, uh, so I worked with Para and. And Dragic, they were real good about coming out and spending after hours with me out in the training area and teaching me things and how to how to uh, track and do all the rest of that stuff and all about a, a dog's alert and what to look for and all, all the things and grooming and all that good stuff. And the, the obstacle course, which really confidence course, I guess you really should call it. And uh, two weeks later... Uh, They, uh, um, took me out on post and, uh, they were with me for three nights mentoring me and said, okay, you're good to go. Next thing you know, you know, so two weeks and three days I was on my own. Wow. And that's how canine worked for me. OGT dog. Turns out there were quite a few OJT handlers at Fanarang. You may not have known that, but, uh, because you guys were fortunate enough to go to school, but by the time things were hitting the fan over there and we had all, you know, those 72 dogs, uh, they were trying to get guys in as fast as they could. Do you recall how many outposts we had? Well, we had, we had 66 posts. And we, we had worked, we worked 66 canine posts tonight. And the, the other six guys were off. So we had one night off a week. That's when I was there. I, I, it's hard for me to relate to what you guys were doing, but we had two shifts. That was it. The evening shift, or we call it an evening shift because the first shift would go in and do training for a week around five in the afternoon, 4.35 o'clock in the afternoon, go out on post as soon as the sun went down and get off at three in the morning. The other shift would come on at nine and you had a big gap in between posts at the early part of the shift and at the late part of the shift. But eventually it got to the point where we had to cover all, all the posts that we weren't doing too much training or the last, last I was there. Yeah. So, so yeah, 66 guys a night.
and that was 1968 and 69. So you talked about that wide gap between post and a couple of hours. How dangerous was that to the base? In the early part of the night? Yeah. Not very. Early part of the night, it wasn't bad at all. Yeah, the most vulnerable time, of course, was between 3 o'clock in the morning and when the sun came up, which was about 5.30, 6 o'clock. So, How much about, distance would you have said there was between posts at that time? Well, you know, most of the posts were close to 400 meters, which was about 200 more than they were supposed to be. So when you had the gap, Tom, you uh, and you, it would be manned every other post. So you'd have that big gap in between. So you could be as much as a quarter, a mile, or half a mile apart from the next handler. And yeah, if the wind was to your back. It was funny. They measured it in meters. So, you know, that according to the book, I think it was only supposed to be 250 meters max. We had some posts there that were 450. So when you, you spent the next year there as a sentry dog handler, what type of incidents did you run into? Well, uh, most of it was standoff which were mortars and rockets, majority of it, uh, according to the documentation I have, because I've got a list of all, all uh, the uh, attacks at Fan Rang. Uh, I have one that's not listed. I was in the Juliet area, which was where they did the first, the initial wave of attack on January 26th on the big attack. I was in the Juliet area next to a guy named Pierce. His dog alerted. Winston didn't alert because the Darn wind was coming parallel to the fence line. And, and Pierce picked up three guys in the fence line, and we got into a little firefight there November 22nd, 68. So that was my first ordeal with, with a sapper squad trying to get in. And uh, Pierce got one of them. I didn't hit anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my shot. <laughs> and, and so... Uh, uh, the biggest problem we had, believe it or not, was the guy in the perimeter tower because he opened up with his M60. He forgot we were out there. And so he pinned Pierce and I down. And nobody wanted to believe that uh, these guys were trying to penetrate the post. And, and uh, they said, oh, you guys made that up. It was a phony firefight and all the rest of that. Found blood in the fence, you know, because Pierce hit one of the guys. And uh, uh, to move forward a little bit, you know, the, about the famous – attack on Fan Rang in 1969, January 26th, the guy that we captured, we did capture a VC January 26th. The guy that we captured was actually on that probe that Pierce shot up and I missed. Uh, and, and so he just proved that we actually did that. So then people started Canine got some credibility after that, that we were actually telling the truth when we called alerts in. Talk about that attack in January. Well, uh, myself, Caputo, Malika, and Jimmy Thornton were off. Skirvin was off. There was one other guy that was off. They came to the barracks and got Jimmy Thornton and I had just sewn on our sergeant stripes and we came down from the NCO club and they came and got us right about 1130 and they attacked started 1125 on the 25th. And, uh, uh, it was a full blown thing. They wanted to come in and wipe out the C-123s because of the cargo, you know, the cargo capability, because we were feeding caisson and a lot of other places. And, um, 
that's according to the reports that we got, because I've got the interrogation interview of this guy that we captured. And uh, so it started about 1125 on the 25th. It went all night long. Tom, it was the most noisy thing I've ever heard in my life. It, you, you couldn't hear anything on the radio. We got out there. Caputo got wounded. His dog was killed. I was about six feet from him when that happened. You know, the dog raised up like that. Bang, he gets shot. B-40 rocket hits the APC that was next to us. And shrapnel hits Caputo. He goes down. Shrapnel goes across my boots right past Jimmy Thornton. We never get touched. And Caputo's out of action. His last night in country, by the way. He was going home to get discharged. And uh, uh, he survived, thank goodness. But... Uh, um, so that was just one phase of it. First phase, the handler that they got through on, uh, Timmy Hunsteiger, he was wounded, but he was wounded by our own people. He got shot by, a, got hit by a shrapnel from a B-40. I'm not a B-40, M-79 round. And, uh, and then Sergeant uh, Larry D. Kirk, I'll never forget this. He was the NCOIC of the armory, was out on the fence line with a minigun mounted on a Jeep. There's a lot of pictures of that, by the way. And uh, uh, he pretty much suppressed everything, everything from anybody starting to come in again. You know, that was the end of that. But we had to do sweeps in the canal out there in the Juliet. It was, remember where that corner was? Uh, where you kind of, out in the Juliet area, you kind of went around a curve. It was like a Y. Yeah. There was two perimeter towers fairly close to each other. That's where they came in. And they had all of the mangrove, wait a minute, bushes kind of thing. They were coming, they wanted to come up through the canal. They only made it about 30 yards into the, in there before, you know, we, we basically took them all out. You know, we just, we just slaughtered them to say, to be honest with you, but it was chaos, total chaos. It is not like the movies where somebody's leading and directing they're all Captain Wright was doing a good job of that, but we had to go to all hand signals, Tom, because you couldn't hear anything on the radio. Couldn't hear, you know, once in a while you'd get some illumination so you could see what you're doing, uh, which was good and bad because that meant they could see what they were doing. And, uh, uh, but as far as canine went, most of us were doing hand signals or trying to yell at the top of our lungs of where to go, what to do. And uh, using a lot of slap players for illumination. Yeah, that's actually what Thornton and I ended up doing after, after, uh, after everything quieted down, Jimmy and I were there with a case of flares. We just kept popping flares every 10 minutes or so. Dogs performed remarkably. I mean, they alerted on everything that we needed to find. They found it. You know, every single place those guys were trying to hide, we got. Any intrusions at all? Any what? Anybody get inside the base? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that not on the flight line. They only made it into the Juliet area. That was it. We killed uh, 13 inside the base. God knows how many outside, you know, and they, there was a lot more actually in that because it was the 121st NVA division, uh, Sapper Mortar Division. It was coming after us. So, you know, but we uh, pretty much stopped it right there on the fence line. <laughs> that canal was kind of dangerous there because it was a good path in. Yeah, it was an excellent path in. And, the, you know, the concertina wire really didn't go all the way down in the trench, kind of went over it so they could crawl through. And uh, we watched that real close all the time. And, and we kept telling security that we thought that that was a very, very vulnerable area. And, and we're, we had been telling them since, well, before that probe that on November 22nd, 68, that Pierce and I got involved with, 
we were telling security that we were getting a lot of alerts over there. Well, they kept coming up near the fence and probing to see if the dogs would alert. And we were alerting. We were having lots of alerts. And, uh, you know, the security guys thought we were crying wolf. Well, we weren't. And uh, so rest is history. We suppressed the attack and, and uh, people kind of started listening. Any major things occur after that? Well, uh, February 22nd, 69, uh, we had another attack. It, it, it was not a sapper type attack. It was a standoff. We actually took more rounds on February 22nd. 69 than we did on January 26th. And and uh, Pierce, again, and he was down on that same post. We had the firefight on. His his dog, Rex Jr., was killed on that post that night. I was CQ that night, so I, I wasn't out there. But that's an interesting story in itself. You know, being CQ in the kennel and you're all by yourself, good news is we had moved our own armory out there. You're all by yourself and you're saying, well, wait a second. We got six dogs. Well, actually, they're all the dog. There was no dogs in the kennel that night because we've been in yellow alert. So everybody was working and, uh, but you sort of, I, and I didn't think about it until after the fact, but you know, you're pretty vulnerable if you're there by yourself, if anybody got through the fence, better hope you had an M79 handy and a lot of rounds for your car 15. <laughs> well, there was uh, a Korean outpost right above there. Yes, there was. Where they had that big generator. Did you ever? Yeah, we went over there. We went up there, went up there in the <laughs> daylight. Uh, they had 105, 105 uh, howitzers up there. I don't know if they had those when you were there, but, but they had yeah. 105s. They put some 155s in later on just before I left, so that ought to have been pretty awesome. Yeah, you know, I like those guys. They, uh, well, they were pretty tough. You know, you talk about your vulnerability. I was CQ uh, one night there, and all of a sudden, uh, six Koreans came walking into the the building there and of course i i couldn't tell the difference between a korean and a vietnamese so <laughs> <laughs> you know at 18 you don't think about that stuff but anyway it scared the tar out of me and then they asked if uh, they could get some diesel fuel their generator was running low so oh. once he started talking to me i kind of knew what the deal was but what scared the tar out of me to begin with <laughs> They're lucky they didn't get shot. Did you struggle with uh, any uh, PTSD as a result of any of the conflicts? You know, I like not to admit it, but Patty says I do did. You know, there were some nightmares. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know. That might be normal. Uh, I've never been diagnosed with it, Tom. I n I've never had the guts to go ask tell anybody or ask. Bill. Uh, told me that uh, this within the last year and a half, maybe two years now, he sharing a story much like yours uh, from an attack he had been involved in. One of the uh, doctors overheard the story. Anyways, he said, you need to, uh, to go down and, and visit with one of the counselors and see if uh, they can uh, get you through that. And Bill went through uh, several weeks of uh, counseling and therapy and uh, has done really well. And uh, a couple of the people I've talked to uh, have struggled with PTSD and, and primarily because of single uh, conflict uh, 
issues that they had on post, much like your first story you told. Well, uh, we ran into some uh, VC on the fence line there. I was more scared that night than I was on January 26th because it was my first event. You know, I'm not saying I wasn't scared on January 26th, but see, January 26th, I had a whole lot more support. You had no support on, on that single firefight, none other than Goofy up in the tower shooting at us. And that was supposed to be our support, but you know, here in the line of fire, that's kind of crazy, you know. And uh, um, no matter what well, side, that, it's that particular thing doesn't bother me as much as January 26 did because, you know, not like being out in the field, you know, where you're shooting at a hedge line sometimes or whatever. We we're face to face with these people. You saw them when you shot them. That's not natural to me, you know. So, so uh, it's very. And at the end of the day, when you when you saw them after the sun came up, it was really surreal. It was like a bunch of mannequins laying there, you know, and mannequins that were twisted, and and uh, um, they're just kids just like us, and and uh, you know, it was pretty pretty disturbing, really. And I do dream about that. I still dream about that particular night, you know. And it's, as a matter of fact, last night it was kind of weird. Uh, I haven't dreamt about Vietnam for maybe a couple of years. And last night I was dreaming about it for some reason. And when you know a thunderstorm comes through, just as I'm dreaming about mortars being launched, <laughs> boom, the thunder goes off, dog starts barking. I'm straight out of bed. I went and grabbed the dog, brought him to bed. <laughs> and I don't know who was comforting who. Oh gosh, but I haven't dreamt about that for a while, and and uh, I find that that when I get real stressed, I'll dream about Vietnam. Did Winston demonstrate any hearing issues after the gunfights? A little bit, yes. Uh, he uh, he already had a hematoma in his left ear, which bothered him a lot, and there was a little bit of a hearing problem there. Uh, then he got a little fungus in there, but of course that doesn't have anything to do with a gunfight, but we recognize that he had a little bit of problem. It usually went away. Hell, I had hearing problems after the gunfights. I mean, it was, especially on January 26th, because you just couldn't hear because of all the firing going on. Too bad Dr. Blaine is not around anymore. You would have loved if you could have talked to him, but you know, he came out and walked with me and Winston for about four hours one night just to observe his ear problem. And uh, uh, so that meant that that was a pretty serious situation. I didn't know how bad it was, but it, it really was kind of bad. And I don't uh, think people really understand, you know, a dog uh, as a weapon comes with only three sensors and that's his hearing, his sight and his nose. So you take away his hearing and then work on a non-moonlit night when it's pitch black out there that takes away his vision and all you have left is his nose and then you put the windy ear back and now you got nothing well you and the dog walking a post you know that's actually very very true uh, you described it perfectly it, you know you, you that's why you quartered your post i mean you know that when on certain nights that Juliet area was perfect for that because the wind was always going down the fence line, always at the wrong, wrong way, you know, 
And uh, do you remember the TACAN station at the end of the runway, the navigation station that was run by diesel and was making all the noise over there yeah. in the Bravo area? And, you know, that was a tactical navigation station. Everybody homed in on that thing. And then you had the water filtration thing, the sewer plant right next to it, all that stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, the wind was always at your back. You had the, the lights from the flight line illuminated you. And then you had the noise of the TACAN station and you're expecting this dog to alert. Got a good story about that. And I called it my scare post. I thought if I was going to die anywhere in Vietnam, I'd be on that post. I really hated that thing because I thought, you know, you're, you're really limited with your resource with your dog because all the things that are contrary for him working properly are against you. Winds the wrong, going the wrong way noise of the TACAN station, lights, you're lit up on the flight from the flight line, the fence lines right next to you and you got 10 foot reeds, elephant grass growing up because the canal and the little road was right on the other side because they had that hamlet there, the strip, you know, and, but there was a bunch of houses back there and mama sons would all do their laundry and all the rest of that stuff. But you know, the place was inhabited with VC and, uh, um, so one night I'm on my post and I, I literally would almost get sick before I went out on that post. I just hated that thing. And I talked to other guys and found out later that they had the same problem with it. And so I go and clear the post early in the evening and, and everything is just hunky dory, you know, and, and, uh, uh, dogs not picking anything up or anything like that. And I'm, I don't know, it's probably 1130 at night and I'm just, coming from the, the, the main gate side of that post. If you recall, the main gate was just, just east of that. And uh, so I'm walking along and I just get to the end of the revetment that was around the, it was a big dirt revetment around the TACAN station, except for the entry point. And Winston just bolts to the end of the loose with a human alert. I'm like, holy crap, did we miss something? You know, so right away I'm down on a crouch and I'm off safe and on semi-automatic thinking, oh my God, they, I've been penetrated. We missed this. What the hell happened? Now I'm a little, I'm nervous here, you know, but I'm going to go find out what's going on, you know. <laughs> and I, I figure out oh, Winston's got, got this under control. So he's, he's pulling hard towards the road. I went, what the heck, you know. I'm down in this crouch and I come around the TACAN station. Winston's on a low growl. I mean, he's he's ready to go attack something and he he knows something's out of place. And I know something's out of place. I'm ready to shoot up everything I can. And three Green Berets are in the TACAN station trying to steal the fuel. <laughs> he heard the Jeep go in there. <laughs> and so so anyway. I got rolling up on those guys. They didn't see me. Winston goes straight to the end. He's rah, 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 you know. I tell those guys to stand down, you know, and a sergeant first class is up on the hood of the Jeep telling me to get the damn dog away from him. You know? <laughs> it was hilarious. Now, the guy across the street, the entry guard, you know, the POL station was across the street. And so the security guy, the Panther flight guy, was over in the POL station across the street, 
I can hear him over there laughing because he's seeing what's going on. You know, and I, I've captured three green berets. This is the coolest thing ever for a canine handler. You know, <laughs> wow, I got, I captured the snake eaters. This is cool. And there's nothing they can do about it. You know? <laughs> and so I asked them what, what, what they were doing. They were trying to steal some fuel out of the tack can station. I said, well, it's not going to work very well in your Jeep because that's diesel. You know, <laughs> so I told them, well, I'll go. I, I called a guy across the street on the radio and I says, Hey, I got three friendlies coming over, you know? <laughs> and so they stole some cats out of the POL, you know, <laughs> and signed it off to somebody. I guess the guy across the street must've got some permission from somebody, but um, yeah, that, that was the coolest thing ever. So the post I hated the most was the post. I actually captured three friendlies. <laughs> I actually, uh, Caught a uh, scout troop from the army. Uh, got posted there. I hated it as bad as you did for the same reasons. And I got posted there one night, and my dog literally growled all night long. And uh, I knew somebody was on the other side of the fence in that canal right there. I thought certainly I'll I'll be able to hear him as well as so will Ronald. But uh, it went. All night long came time to get relief from post, and I went up to the road and muzzled uh, Ronald up, unloaded my gun, and uh, was looking down the road for the headlights coming. And all of a sudden, Ronald spun around behind me and hit the end of the leash, and I got no weapon loaded. I got a dog that's muzzled, so I reached in my uh, cami pants, pulled out a slap flare. And when I yelled at him, and they they responded back with the United States Army and blah blah blah. I was shaking in my boots, but oh, yeah, I, know. That, I hated that post. The post was horrible. I mean, it, it was. You probably felt the same way I did. If you're going to die in Vietnam, that was the place. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you were secluded, and like you say, lit up from the runway, which was backlit, so they could see your silhouette. And then the wind was always the wrong direction. So it was not well, they're working on the C-123s at night loading cargo, you know, getting them ready for the morning flights. And they're working on the engines. And so they're running them up and there's all kinds of noise. And oh, goodness, you know, it was just a mess. You know, it's a good story to tell, though. So I mean, you know, all the times I had that post, that was that was the worst that ever happened on there. I don't think I ever had an alert other than that on that post. Yeah. So was you handed Winston off to someone else then when you left? Yeah, um, four of us that had him. Doug Key had him before me, but Doug went up to uh, Tachikawa to get another dog, and that's how I ended up with Winston. Uh, Daryl Agnew had him before me. You knew Daryl, I think. Yep. Yeah. And I talked to Daryl. I talked to Daryl uh, night before last, by the way. And uh, um, Jim Cave ended up with him. Uh, as his last hander, they went to Tuiwa, and that's where Winston was put down in 71. Uh, so some of the dogs left Van Rang and went to Tuiwa and Fukat. They had brought new dogs in, but you know, they, they got shorthanded up there, so they moved some of the dogs. And Winston just quit working. He, he, he was worn out. We closed the base in 74? No, uh, 72. 72? Yeah. By the way, if you ever need the stats on how much Agent Orange and White and Purple were or Blue was spread, 64,000 gallons. I actually had video 
uh, I took a movie of the plane spraying our post. Um, when I tried to get it converted from eight millimeter to videotape, the people who did the conversion told me they lost the tape. They got destroyed, so I never got it back, which really infuriated me. But uh, yeah, we were out there the day after they sprayed, they sent us out there during the day to clean up any trash out on the post, which made us all happy, as you can imagine. I, oh, I got another story. The Juliet area, when you went around, the, you know, the railroad track over there and all that stuff. But we got sniped at one night, and they wouldn't let us shoot any illumination flare. Guy was on a motorbike, one of those Lambretta deals. <laughs> I took my flare out, and I, I let him... <laughs> And I shot him with the flare. <laughs> just almost broke my hand doing it, but I just bap. And I, I let him about 20 feet and he went boom right into it. We don't know what happened to him. Didn't find anything <laughs> next day, but I got him with the flare. Yeah. Uh, but he had to go home and change his britches, that's for sure. Yep. Anything else you can think of? No, other than, you know, it was it was good times and it was bad times. That's about what it amounted to. You know, I mean, it, it wasn't 100% war. I mean, you know, you always had the stress of something happening. But, you know, I understand that Fan Rang was the most hit air base in Vietnam after after it was all said and done, even more than Benoit and, and Da Nang. So I'll tell you, one thing I can say is I've made lifelong friends from this event, this year-long event, you know. Yeah, I'm real close to all you guys. I, it's even the guys that I didn't know, like you. I didn't know you when you was over there. But uh, our canine unit is extremely tight group, you know, because we saw a lot of stuff. I mean, it, it was amazing. I mean, Ken Angleston collecting snakes and, and uh, um, you know, guys getting wounded. And, you know, we had a bunch of canine handlers wounded. Uh, in January and February of 69. And uh, I've got all the, all the after action stuff that says who was wounded and things. And, and uh, couldn't ask for a better bunch of guys to be around. I mean, it's, it, you know, they're, they're definitely brothers that uh, I trusted them. And I, you can't say more than that in a combat situation that you trusted somebody. 